Jesus was the master worker of miracles. If you and I study through the Gospel of John, John presents Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he provides a number of reasons for you and I to believe that he is the Son of God, but he focuses on the miracles which Jesus performed. As Brother Snow just read for us just a few moments ago, these miracles were for the purpose of prompting belief in Jesus. These are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That is incredibly important because the believers are the ones who have the right to become children of God. I'm sure you know that many of our religious neighbors and friends believe that all a person has to do is to believe on Jesus and therefore they are saved from their sins. And yet, when we read John's account in John 1 and verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. The right to become. When you study through the presentation of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you come to the conclusion that Jesus is the Christ You believe that. You now have the right to become a child of God. Two weeks ago, we started this series of lessons on the miracles. And we talked about the fact that Jesus was the master miracle worker. Last week, we talked about John chapter 2, the first of the miracles that Jesus did to turn the water to wine. Now we want to focus on a third area, and that is we want to focus on Jesus healing the sick. I'm going to confess to you up front, it's going to be hard for me to deliver this lesson in one shot. I want to deliver it in one shot. You may find that I will summarize a number of passages as we go through rather than reading them from the screen. The reason is the Lord worked a number of miracles healing the sick. How do you decide which ones of those that you will look at? We're going to focus on three. Three that are recorded in the book of John. The first one being that of the healing of the nobleman's son in John chapter 4. The second will be healing of the lame man in John chapter 5. The third will be the healing of the blind man in John chapter 9. Let's go to John 4 for just a few moments. Let's look at the healing of the nobleman's son. We're going to look at the context, the cure, and then some observations. John chapter 4, verses 43 through 45. Now after two days, he departed from there and went to Galilee. For Jesus himself testified that no prophet or a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he had come to Galilee, the Galileans received him. Having seen the things which he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they had also gone to the feast. You have to see John's presentation. Jesus has gone to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. 
As he is returning, he's going to go back through the country of the Samaritans. And we read about Jesus stopping and the conversation that he had with the woman at the well in the first part of John chapter 4. What a great presentation that is of Jesus also working a miracle in the sense that he talked to that woman and explained her everything that she had ever done. But as you go through here, you find the Lord now has returned to Galilee. Galilee is this area in and around the Sea of Galilee. It originally was known as the area of the Gentiles. Genesis, or we read it Matthew chapter 4, verse 15. He said, The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, by way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And if you look at the history, there, area, there was an area around the Sea of Galilee that was dominated by people who were of the Roman nature. There was all the cities of the Decapolis. But don't miss the fact that there were a number of Jews there as well because many of the apostles were from cities in Galilee. If you remember Acts 2 verse 7 it says, Are these not all who speak Galileans? We learn that Philip and Andrew and Peter were all from the city of Bethsaida. And if you start looking, the cities of Cana, Nazareth, Bethsaida, Capernaum, Chorazin, all of those were cities around the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus makes a prophet. The prophet has no honor in his home country. It's not just here that this is recorded. It's found in Luke chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. It's found in Mark 6 and verse 4. Notice particularly Mark's account. A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. But do you find a contradiction here? Because just like John 1 and verse 11 says, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. It said the Galileans received him. Oh, there's a great lesson to be found there. Because the things that we see here is they had observed all the things that Jesus did while he was in Jerusalem. He worked signs there as well. You see, Matthew tells us that it is an evil and an adulterous generation that seeks signs. That's telling you the mindset and the heart of these people is the fact that all they're interested in is the signs. And in John chapter 2, there's a great instruction there. He said, now when he was at Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, during the feast, many believed in his name because of signs which he did. Now listen carefully. But Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. That is, Jesus could look at somebody and see if their reception of him was superficial. The Galileans received Jesus not because they were convinced he was the Son of God but because they saw the signs. You see, in John twelve thirty seven, but although he had done many signs before them, they did not believe in him. Well, now I understand the context. Well, what about the cure? Let's look particularly at verses 46 through 54. So Jesus came again to Cana of Galilee, where he made the water wine. 
And there was a certain nobleman whose son was sick at Capernaum. When he had heard that Jesus was come out of Judea into Galilee, he went to him and implored him to come down and to heal his son. For he was at the point of death. Then Jesus said to him, Unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. The nobleman said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your son lives. So the man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him, and he went his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him, told him, saying, Your son lives. Then he inquired of them the hour in which he got better. And they said, Yesterday at the seventh hour his fever left him. So the father knew that it was the same hour that Jesus said to him, Your son lives. And he himself believed, and his whole household and then John tells us this is the second sign that Jesus did in Galilee. For just a moment, think with me. The nobleman, that means he's attached to the king. Most likely to Herod the Tetrarch, who is the Herod of the Galilean area, Luke chapter 3, verse 1. However, he has gone to meet Jesus. Jesus is coming from Samaria into Galilee. The first area he's going to arrive is around Nazareth and Cana. This man's from Capernaum, about 20 miles away, about the distance from here to Manchester. And he is going out to try to find Jesus. He is so concerned about his son, he's desperate for the healing of his sick son who's near death. How many of us would not go anywhere, anytime, and spend any amount of money to save our child's life? You see, this man loved his son and he wanted him saved and he was searching out Jesus. But notice Jesus' response to the man's request. He said, unless you people see signs, too many of them were there not because they were interested in Jesus. They were interested in his healings. They wanted the blessings without the commitments, just like the people of John 6 wanting the food. But if you look at the text carefully, he says, you people. He's not just looking at this, in, this uh, nobleman here. He's looking and saying, you people. In verse 48, you'll by no means believe. He had asked Jesus to come down. Lord, I need you to go with me. My son is sick. Jesus said, go your way. Your son lives. You see, Jesus didn't have to be there. Oh, that's an interesting concept that people need to understand. The Lord didn't have to be present physically to heal. He could simply speak it and it be done. Or it was the Lord who said in the beginning, let there be light, and there was light. You see, the power of the Son of God, this man believed. You know, there's so many places in the Bible... Luke 5, Lord, we fished all night. You say to drop your nets here, that's what we're going to do. Just like Abraham, that whatever God had promised, he believed that he was able to perform. Not only did he believe, but so did all of his household. Now, very quickly, some observations to notice here. Number one, people often 
will disrespect the man who brings God's law because they don't like what he has to say. There may be some initial uh, enthusiasm, but people are often fickle. You remember Acts 14, Paul went to the cities of Lyconia, Lystra, and Derbe. When they arrived, the first thing they said to them is, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. And then just immediately thereafter, they're dragging Paul out of the city and stoning him. One minute he's a god, next minute you stone him. The people were truly fickle. People want the blessings, and they want the benefits, but rarely do they want the rules and the restrictions that go along with it. That's the reason why the Son of Man was not popular, because of his rules and restrictions. But you know, situations of difficulty can bring out the best or the worst in folks. It provided an opportunity for this nobleman to see Jesus for who he really was, the worker of miracles, the cure of disease. Now if you'll go with me real quickly to chapter 5, we're going to look at the lame man or the crippled man, if you will. Verses 1 through 5, we're going to look at him as he's the crippled. We're going to see verses 6 through 9, the Lord's compassion. And then we'll see the controversy that arises in verses 10 through 16. Let's look at verses 1 through 5. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethsaida, having five porches. And these lay a great multitude of sick and blind and lame and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time in the pool and stirred up the water, and whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. Now I want you to notice Jesus is returning to Jerusalem. This miracle is not occurring in Galilee, it's occurring in Jerusalem. There's another feast now, which one is it? He doesn't tell us at this occasion. But John does give us a real good description of what's going on. He tells us that there is a pool by the Sheep Gate. Sheep Gate's on the north side of the Temple Mount. He tells us that the title of it is called Bethsaida. That's in Hebrew, the house of mercy. He also tells us that it has five porches or porticos, if you will, If you'll imagine, there's a wall all the way around, that's four sides, and then there's a petition in the middle between the upper pool and the lower pool, so that gives you five sides around or five porches. He describes the people who are there. It's a gathering place for people who have no hope. He tells us they're blind, they're lame, they're paralyzed. You know, it's just like you're walking into the intensive care unit of a hospital and you see people... They are there looking for some glimmer of hope. If you look at the latter part of verse 3 and the first part of verse 4, it's likely that if you have a more modern Bible that they may not include that in the text is because it's not in most of the manuscripts. I don't know whether it belongs there or not. I do know verse 7 refers to it. Whether or not it was true that an angel come down and stirred the water or whether people believed that an angel come down and stirred the water, this is still a place of gathering of people with no hope. 
verse 7 tells us. The man has been infirm, that is, he's been lame for 38 years. I don't know how old he was, but most likely this is the majority of his life. Why was he infirm? Why was he unable to walk? Was it because of an accident that happened? Was it because of a disease? We don't know. All we know is the man's unable to walk. It's hard to imagine the desperation and the discouragement that many years of an illness or a disease can bring. I had an uncle who was blind practically all my life. Every time on the television they would announce that there's a new procedure that they were going to use to give people who couldn't see sight, he would call in and say, can you find out about that for me? Let me see if I can have that treatment. People who are in situations like this are searching for anything. We'll look at verses 6 through 9. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew already he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered and said, or answered him, sir, I have no man to put me in the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well and took up his bed and walked. And that day was the Sabbath. Now, I want you to think about this man's condition and those sitting around. Occasionally, there will be a commercial that will come on for children who have been damaged or they are diseased. And you see children maybe who have no legs or no arms. And then you look, maybe you go to a a hospital for those who've been injured in war, and you'll see a a soldier who's lost a leg or lost an arm, and and they're trying to give him some sort of rehabilitation to be able to feed himself and to be able to get around. And You feel sorry for those. You have pity for those who are going through that condition. And so Jesus asked him the question, do you want to be made well? Obviously, he did not know Jesus, and he did not know his power. And you say, well, how do you know that? There was a man there, and there was no one with him, no one to help him. He must have believed that legend. When Jesus told the man to rise up and take his bed, he did. I want you to contrast that with the so-called faith healers of today. This man evidently did not have faith. Here someone comes to you and says, oh, I would work a miracle, but you've got to have faith in order to do that. He didn't even recognize who Jesus was. Look at verse 13. But the one who was healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. All he knew was someone said, rise up, take your bed and walk. And that's all he knew. There was the immediate healing of a man who hadn't walked in 38 years. Not gradual, well, I'm I'm feeling a little better. No, he was able to get up immediately. I think it's worth noting here that when Jesus asked if he wanted to be healed, his response was, I don't have anybody to help me. Somebody gets in before me. Did he really believe that Jesus was going to heal him 
or that he needed to be able to get into that water. Now, if you look at verses 10 through 16, you're going to find out there's a controversy that develops. Rather than me reading this, I'm just going to summarize to you. The Jews came to him and said to him, What are you doing? You're walking with your mat. You ought not be doing that. They said, The man told me to take up my bed and walk. In verse 14, I am going to read this portion right here. He says, Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See that you have been made well, sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who made him well. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. You see, the issue of the Sabbath is now going to arise. They said, it's not lawful for you to carry your bed. Okay, what do you mean it's not lawful? The Old Testament was very specific and explicit about working on the Sabbath. We could read Exodus 28 through 11, Jeremiah 17, 21 through 23, Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 15 through 18. And you know what you learn when you read all those passages? Don't work, don't work, don't work, don't work. We could look at them specifically. The Jews, however, had come up with a list of 39 things that you could not do on the Sabbath day. And one of them was you can't bury a burden, and so you can't pick up your little mat, little carpet tile, and take it with you. Matthew 15, verses 2 and 3, shows that the Jewish people had created a whole bunch of traditions, a whole bunch of laws. He said, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? Oh, see, now you begin to understand the truth is neither Jesus nor this man broke the law of God. It was they had not followed man's tradition. Well, who will they blame then? They blame the man for walking with his bed. He said, well, the man who healed me told me to do this. They say, who is the man? Later, he was identified as Jesus. Jesus escaped from them. The Jews wanted to kill Jesus because of this. There are times when people are suffering and they feel hopeless. I have visited with many families who have gone through all sorts of, of maladies and difficulties. And what happens is they're so desperate, they start looking for unlikely alternatives. Okay, let's go get in this pool and see if the angel stirs the water and see if maybe that helps me. It's just like Saul, who is seeking for a medium, a spiritist, to conjure up Samuel in 1 Samuel 28. Isaiah chapter 8, he said, you know, are you going to go to the mediums, the spiritists? Are you going to go to the dead on behalf of the living? He says, to the law and to the testimony. And in John 6, verses 68 and 69, Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. The miracles were not as a means to an end. They were or they were a means to end, not an end in themselves. How do I know that? Because Jesus did not heal every sick person. 
You think about that. Not every sick person he met. Luke chapter 4, verses 25 through 27. He said, I tell you, there are many widows that were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months and there was not a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. Verse 27. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. I would tell you there are many sick people who were in Jesus' day, but Jesus did not heal them all. It's possible here that this man was healed and not saved because Jesus said, go and sin no more. That means that he literally was to stop his sinning. And it provided an opportunity to teach the truth, and particularly the truth that man was not made for the Sabbath, but Sabbath for the man and prove Jesus to be the Christ. Now, the third one. I told you this is going to be hard to do. Let's go to John chapter 9. We're going to see the man blind and begging in verses 1 through 8, healed and harassed in verses 9 through 34, and then seeing and searching in verses 35 through 41. Now, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man or his parents sinned, but the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day, for night is coming which no man can work. As long as I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. When he said these things... He spat on the ground, made clay with the saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sin. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. And he said, I am he. This person was born blind. He couldn't go out and work like the rest of men. He could beg. You see, there's a problem here, though. The question that was asked of Jesus, who sinned that this man should be born blind? You see, that was a popular misconception in their day and some degree, even in our day, somebody suffers something awful and you tend to think, well, did God do that to them? Eliphaz says, remember now whoever perished being innocent. Well, you see, they had a wrong idea. Sometimes you do suffer because someone has done wrong. You can see that in John five fourteen and 1 Corinthians 11, verse 30. But it's not always the case. In Luke 13, 1 through 5, Jesus talks about people who suffered, those whose Pilate had mingled their blood with their sacrifices, those on whom the Tower of Siloam had fell. But he said, do you think these are worse sinners than the others? He said, I know it, but I tell you, except you repent, you'll all likewise perish. Job chapter 2, verse 3 and verse 10. Job suffered, and yet Job was a righteous man. So the answer to the question was unequivocal. It was clear. Neither this man sinned nor his parents, 
but that God should be revealed in you know the place is encouragement. They're leaving the temple. John chapter 8, verse 59 through 9, 1. Jesus is going out of the temple. He picks up dust. That's significant because that's what man's made out of. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. He formed man from the dust of the earth. He made clay, put it on his eyes, and he says, Now I want you to go wash in the pool of Siloam. John 9, verse 7. If you look at the city of Jerusalem... You can see the temple area. If you go straight south, you arrive at a pool that was actually just located a few years ago. And that's where the man went to wash. There's no confusion about what happened and to whom it happened. What you follow up with is the man was healed, but then he was harassed. The question is, who is he? And the question was... Was this really the blind man now seeing? And how was he healed? Verses 10, 15, 19, and 26. All keep saying, how did he do it? How did he do it? How did he do it? Listen to the blind man. He said, I'm he. Some said, well, he's like him. No, no, I'm he. It's me. I was the man that was here blind from birth. They asked his parents. His parents said, We don't know how our son was healed. We do know that this is our son. This way the man was healed and it could be in nothing other than a miracle. I mean, when you start looking at it, this man complied with Jesus' instructions. You go wash and he received his sight. He confirmed it a second time in verse 15. He said, he put clay on my eyes, I washed and I see. They continued to badger him and ask him, How did you do this? Verse 27. I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? They charged that Jesus had to be a sinner because he had done this on the Sabbath. This is just like it was back in chapter 5. You can't heal on the Sabbath, they would say. They charged the blind man with being deluded. You know, are you sure you know who did this? Are you sure that this is how it happened? Who is it? Well, he was a prophet. And they reviled him and said, you are his disciples. We're Moses' disciples. What are you going to do? You can't deny it. Here's the man who said, I've been healed. So they're going to insult him and throw him out. They answered and said to him, you are completely born in sins and you're teaching us. They're saying, who do you think you are? You're just a vile sinner. Now in verses 35 through 38, we find this man now searching and seeking and he's going to be able to see not only physically, but he's going to be able to see spiritually. And so the Lord said to you, You know, when he found him, do you believe in the Son of God? He answered and said, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Jesus said, you have both seen him, and it's him who's talking to you. Then he said, Lord, I believe. Jesus revealed himself to him. Just like he had said, he was the light to all men. Some people today are spiritually blind. Oh, I'm amazed. I watched a little special yesterday 
because of the 40th anniversary of Jim Jones and the Jonestown Massacre. And in watching that, I'm amazed how many people are walking through this world spiritually blind, willing to follow a man who wants to say anything that he wants to say. In John 9, Jesus pointed out how spiritually blind they were. Some are blind and need help seeing. Jesus is the light of the world. Others are blind because it closed their eyes. Quoting Isaiah 6 and verse 10, he said, This people's eyes they have shut, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, and should return and be healed. And here's what happens. You know, I've tried to bring all this, these three cases together. At some point, this all begins to accumulate to the point where you say, there's no way that Jesus could not be the Son of God. He meets every criteria set forth in the Old Testament under those promises. He comes and it's undeniable He is a worker of miracles. He is the great physician. Because not only did He heal men of their physical diseases and their illnesses, but He continues to heal people today of our spiritual disease. The message calls upon us, just like the nobleman's son, just like the lame man, just like the blind man, to bring the Lord our broken lives and let Him make us whole. If you remember John 1 and verse 12 as we begin, as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even those who believe on His name. Are you a believer this morning? If you believe that Jesus is the Christ, why not act upon that? Repent of your sins, confess your faith in Him, and be baptized. That's what He calls upon you to do. If you have believed in Him and you've responded to Him by becoming one of His children, it's possible you can walk astray and God calls you home. If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation this morning, would you come as together we stand and sing just as I am?